Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Your time on earth is finite. Once you use it up, it is gone forever. Thus, on the A1 podcast, we talk a lot about how to maximize your time, how to use it more effectively to be more productive. But is it possible to be too concerned about managing your time? Should you also make space for chunking out all the to-do lists and schedules and just kind of be idle? Well, my guest today would say yes. His name is Alan Lightman. He's a physicist and a writer and the author of the book In Praise of Wasting Time. Today on the show, Alan forwards the sort of counterculture argument that intentionally wasting time isn't a vice, but a virtue. We begin our conversation by discussing what Alan means by wasting time and then get into how wasting time benefits our psyches, creativity, sense of mental self-reliance, and even ironically enough, our productivity. We end our conversation discussing the difference between Kronos time and Kairos time and how wasting time allows us to spend more time in the latter state. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash wasting time. Okay, Alan Lightman, welcome to the show. Nice being on the show, Brett. So you got a, a nice little book out called In Praise of Wasting Time, which is based on a TED Talk you gave. Before we get to the book, I'd like to talk about your background because I think it's really interesting. You are you have a physics background, but you're also mm-hmm. a novelist. You write poetry, you write essays. And so it's not a combination you see too often. I'm curious, how did that happen? Well, I was very interested in both science and and the arts from a young age i built homemade rockets and fired them and i wrote poetry i did science projects and i was editor of the the school literary magazine i didn't see anything unusual about having interest in both the science and the arts I do remember that my teachers and friends and and even parents uh, tried to push me in one direction or the other, but I resisted those those pushes and uh, just continued following my interests. Yeah, it sounded a lot like we had Walter Isaacson on a while back ago talk about Da Vinci, and Da Vinci was the same way. He combined both arts and science together. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that he achieved a little bit more than I have in my life. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about this book, In Praise of Wasting Time, because that, that's a provocative title. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about you know, our perceptions of time and our emotion towards it. But what got you thinking about, hey, maybe instead of seeing wasting time as a bad thing, maybe there's some value to that. What, what was the impetus? 
Well, I for for many years, my my wife and I have spent our summers on an island in Maine, a small island. It it, it doesn't have any roads or or on it. It doesn't have a ferry service to it. It doesn't have any bridges to the mainland. And when we come here, we unplug. And my wife is a painter, and we've noticed that our uh, creative activities, our creative spirit is tremendously boosted by not having to-do lists, not having a schedule every day. And I have been alarmed over the last 25 years to see how the, the pace of life has increased and people don't give themselves time anymore just to let their minds wander. So uh, both for positive and negative reasons, I have tried to orient my, my lifestyle in such a way that I had periods of time that were unstructured and unscheduled. So, I mean, guess what do you mean by wasting time? Because, you know, doing art, that doesn't seem like it's a waste of time. Is So I'm sure you, there's a specific, what, what, there's something you're trying to get at when you say wasting time. Yeah, well, that's, it's, it's a good question. And I think that I mean by wasting time is spending time that does not have a, a goal, that is, is not directed, is not scheduled, spending time in a way that allows your mind to wander. And uh, there are many activities that, that fit that description. It could be going out to dinner with friends, or it could be taking a walk in the woods, or it could be just sitting quietly by yourself in a chair. But I think that part of, of wasting time in the way that I think of it is, is being free from external stimulation. I think that, that we, that especially with the internet and with the smartphones, that we, we've been overwhelmed by an avalanche of, ex, of external stimulation and information. And it's, it's very hard to, and under those conditions, it's very hard to hear your own self think, to get in touch with your own inner self. So uh, I hope that that gives you some idea of what I mean by wasting time. It's, it's a combination of, of unplugging from the external world and spending time in a way that is unscheduled and unstructured and, and not goal-oriented. Gotcha. Uh, and what I love about the book, you get into sort of, you know, a broad, broad look of how our perception of time has changed over history mm -hmm. and particularly how technology uh, adva advances in communication technology has changed that perception of time. Yeah. So walk us through how has advances in communication technology changed our perception of time? Well, the, the pace of life has always been regulated by the speed of communication because the speed of communication determines the speed of business transactions and, and everything else. In the middle 1800s, when the telegraph was first invented, that was a high-speed communication of the time. And I think there was a, there was a, a physician named Beard, Dr. Beard, I can't remember his first name, who, who wrote an article about how people were suffering greater anxiety because of the, the higher speed of 
of, of life. And he was referring to, to the telegraph, which was like three bits per second of speed. In the middle, around 1985, when the internet first became public and available to most people, the speed of communication was about a thousand bits per second. And today it's about one billion bits per second. So we can see how the speed of communication has increased the speed of life. Everything is faster. I mean, even walking speed is faster. About a decade ago, the British Council did a study of the walking speed in 35 countries and found that in the, just in the last 10 years, the speed had increased by 10%. So everything is faster. And I I think that all of that can be tracked back to the speed of communication. And do you think Beard was onto something that this increased speed in communication, even back then when it was three bits per second, now it's a billion bits, it causes anxiety in people? Are we seeing that manifest itself? I think that we have. People are, are, are rushing around more in terms of, of the, the measurement of stress less. People have done uh, studies of, of college students and found that they are definitely under greater stress than they were 25 years ago. There was a recent article about a year ago that came out in Time magazine, actually the cover of Time magazine in the U.S. uh, that documented the the increase in anxiety and depression among teenagers. And some sociologists and psychologists analyzed that and tried to find the reasons why, why depression and anxiety were increasing among young people. And of course, there, there are many factors, but, but one of the key factors was the pace of life and the fact that teens are plugged in all the time on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. And they're, they're afraid of, of losing out, of not keeping up with their friends. They see all the activities that their friends are doing and they see it at a high rate of speed and they have an anxiety about, about not keeping up. Uh, there's actually an acronym for that that a, a psychiatrist friend explained to me. It's called FOMO, F-O-M-O, which stands for fear of missing out. And so I think that, that, that we see here the results of the, the increased pace of life and the, the interconnectedness, the hype, I would call it hyperconnectedness of our society. And, and besides the increased anxiety, you also highlight research that shows that young people these days are less creative than, say, young people 20, 30 years ago. Yes. There was a study done by a a researcher at the the College of William and Mary a few years ago that used a a standard test for creativity that's been used for for 40 or 50 years and found that since the the early 1990s, which was near the beginnings of, of, the, of, of the internet, that creativity was decreasing among young people. And, and the, this test measures creativity by a number of ways. Uh, for example, seeing a, a couple of objects and, and being asked what, what kinds of, of, uh, of activities can these objects be used for? What, what tasks can they accomplish? Or get, getting part of a story and being asked to complete the story. Those are just a couple of examples of the things on the creativity test. 
But it's really not surprising to me that the creativity has decreased because I think that the that creativity requires stretches of unstructured time. Gustav Mahler used to go walking in the in the countryside for several hours after lunch when he was working on a piece of music. And there 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 are various examples of of people doing their creative work when they are uh, unplugged, when they are separating themselves from the, the rush and the heave of the outside world and just listening to their inner thoughts. Gertrude Stein, the writer, used to, to take drives in the countryside, get out and just look at cows when she was working on a piece of writing. To, uh, the, the unconscious mind uh, is, is involved with the creativity. And, and we, we, we have lots of evidence that, that, that a lot of our thinking happens unconsciously. And the unconscious mind does best when it's not being poked and prodded by the outside world, when, when it's just given time to, to go up through its, its secret hallways and solitude and silence. Yeah, and I think you also highlight research. I mean... <laughs> And I've seen this as well. Whenever we are bombarded by external stimuli, our attention gets focused on that, laser pointed. That's all we think about. We all the only thing we look at. And as a consequence, we don't have this, like I think they call it the default mode that our brain goes in when we're not really paying attention to anything in particular. And in that default mode, that's when like ideas in your head start swirling around and mashing together, basically. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about this creative process and like how you've used, you know, quote unquote, wasting time, unplugging, just unstructured, unscheduled time. How's that played out in your life? Like, what do you do? You're a writer. You've, uh, you know, you wrote uh, Einstein's Dreams. Did you come up to any, any situations where you, you know, hit a wall and then you just basically decide, you know what, I'm going to unplug. I'm not going to have any expectations of, uh, of getting something done. I'm just going to go sit or walk and let my mind wander. Well, yes, that, that happens. That happens many times. And it happened when I was, when I was in my scientific career as, as well as my writing career, because science is a creative activity as well. But a lot of times the, the solution to a problem will come not when you're attacking the problem head on, but when you're doing something else that might be unrelated to the problem at all, taking a shower or taking a walk. Um, I remember that I was uh, working on a, a novel some years ago, and I one of the characters was not coming to life. And I kept struggling and struggling and struggling and and trying different things with the character. And I just couldn't make the character come to life. And it was killing the entire novel. And, and then I remember I was, I was just taking a walk one day and I started hearing dialogue from the character, different dialogue than I'd heard before. And, and suddenly I understood her in a much deeper way than I had before. Uh, and I think that, 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 that my subconscious mind had been trying out different pieces of dialogue for this character 
seeing which one opened up, which one led to her heart, led to her soul. And finally, there was just one piece of dialogue that, that, that rose to my conscious awareness that made her come alive for me. And I understood something about her that I hadn't before. A, a very similar thing happened when I was working on a scientific problem about uh, long ago when I was in graduate school. And I've been beating my head against the wall for six months trying to find a mistake that I'd made. And then I woke up one morning feeling like I was floating. And I rushed to the kitchen table where a bunch of my pages of calculations were, were lying there. And I, I suddenly realized the mistake that I had made. And it wasn't from going from one equation to the next or, or pounding on the problem. It was something that happened unconsciously. And I think that just, there are just many, many examples. Those are a couple from my own life, but many examples where the, the unfettered mind, the unconscious mind is able to accomplish things that the, that the, the scheduled, driven, time-driven mind cannot. But of course, there, there, there are many other values of, of, quote, wasting time besides creativity. Uh, I think one of the, and you can stop me here if you don't mean to go on. No, I keep this, going. But I think that, that, that we need unplugged, unstructured time to, to explore our inner self and consolidate our self-identity. And I know that sounds mushy and sentimental and trite, but we need time to think about who we are and what's important to us and where we're going, our, our values. And we need time to remember things that we've done in the past and, and reevaluate those with new experience. And all of that is part of, of what I call consolidating our self-identity, understanding who we are. And you can't rush through that. You can't do that kind of mulling and thinking when you're, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a dentist office waiting to go in and you've got 15 minutes to, to read a magazine or think. You, you can't do that when you're answering emails or uh, when you're sending out Twitters. You, you need time to where there's nothing that you have to do and you're just letting your mind wander and think about what it wants to think about. I mean, too often we're we're directing our minds to go from A to B and make this appointment and make that appointment, answer this phone call. We're, we're not letting our minds wander freely. And part of what we lose there is not just the ability to be creative, but the ability to, to understand who we are. We need to constantly evaluate who we are because we have new experiences every day. We have new decisions that we need to make. And, and, and all of that is part of our self-identity. And we need quiet solitude for that kind of, of thinking. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. 
you sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money and things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. And now back to the show. No, that ho- that point really hit home uh, with me because uh, it rem- reminded me of the book, The Lonely Crowd by David Reisman, written back in the 1950s. And basically he said that the American middle class was shifting to, they were becoming other directed beings. Basically they they got their sense of identity by looking what other people were doing, right? And like social media, particularly, I think has amplified that or the internet, because whenever you have an opinion, oftentimes the first thing you do is like, well, what do other, do other people think the same thing? So you get on, you know, you Google, whatever, you try to find something on Reddit that says, you know, agrees with you or disagrees with you. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I find myself doing that. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I just want to think what I want to think, right? Not not care what other people. I mean, you have to care what other people think. There's like a balance, but I feel we've gone too far. Yeah. Well, this is this is part of that fear of missing out, the FOMO syndrome that is causing increased anxiety and and depression in teenagers. That, that they're constantly checking with their friends and with to see what other people are doing, and they they don't have the the self confidence to just know what they're doing and so honor their own decisions in their own life. We, we just, we're, we're, we've developed a, 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 a manner of living, a, a lifestyle in which we require constant external validation. And the, the internet makes that so easy to do, to, to check and see what other people are doing. Yeah, and I, and I guess that, that just increases the anxiety, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you post something on, if yes. you're a kid, you post something on Instagram because you think, you think it's cool, but then no one else, everyone just ignores it or they comment about it, make fun of it. And you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that thing. But <laughs> that's sad if that happens. Right. So, I mean, besides unplugging, besides, you know, I guess you've done things where you go for walks. I mean, what are some other ways we can waste time. I mean, you mentioned uh, in the book, playing is a great way to waste time. But what kind of play are we talking about here? Are we talking about video games, structured sports leagues, or are you talking about something else? To me, play is 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 anything is where you're where you you. Uh, I guess sports is an an, uh, an interesting in between case because. When you're playing sports, you you have a goal usually to to defeat the other team or defeat the other player. So a sport event can be recreational. It can be something that's relaxing, but but can also be something that's very stressful and and competitive. So I think it depends on how you play the sport, what the outcome is in in terms of your 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 mental state of being. But for, for me, 
play is again when you're engaging in that in an activity that 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 doesn't have a goal that is uh, entertaining, pleasurable, unstructured. Uh, I think that what I would add to to when when, I, when we talked about what how do you define wasting time, and I, I said I thought it was spending time any time where you don't have an, uh, a goal, you don't have a schedule. If you want to make play a subset of that broad definition, I would say that play is all of those things plus something that's pleasurable. Gotcha. So uh, that could be a lot of things. It could be art. I mean, that's the type of play. You kind of just mess around, yeah. do what you want. Music oh, could be oh, there, be playful. There are a lot of wonderful ways to waste time. I think that that wasting time has, has gotten a very bad rep, that, that we feel guilty, especially in this age of high productivity. We feel guilty when we're not doing something that is manifestly productive. And I think that part of that guilt goes back to our, our Puritan origins, the people who came over from England and Scotland, the pilgrims, part of the Puritan ethic was that it was actually sinful to be idle. That, that was what they call wasting time, being idle. Being idle is, is not doing productive work. It was actually a sin against God, according to the Puritan ethic. And I think that that mentality, even today, you know, 350 years later, I think there is still deep in, in our culture, in our cultural ethos, this idea that that wasting time or being idle or not doing productive work is 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 sinful. Right. But I mean, there's also in Christianity, a culture in some sects of where you waste, I mean, you kind of waste time. Like you know, they have festival weeks where they do things that we typically don't think of as productive as resting and eating and celebrating. Yes, I, I, I agree. But so, but so, so that kind of dimension is running a, a counterpoint with with the other dimension, which is that being idle is sinful. So uh, I, I think that uh, yes, that, that that Christianity does recognize the, the the festival weeks. I mean, there's the Sabbath also one day a week, but the rest of the time we're supposed to be at work and laboring in the fields. Uh, is actually that's the the actual phrase in the Bible, laboring in the fields. And but what's what's interesting though, that we talked about it, it, it's being so productive all the time can be counterproductive in the long run. Yes, right? yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting irony there. So, I mean, like, I, I think all of us can figure out ways to be, you know, waste waste time on our private life, right? Just unplug where you spend an evening just not doing anything, taking a walk, playing with your kids, et cetera. But how did, would you make this case to say your boss say, Hey, yeah. you know, I need, I need an hour and a half where I'm not doing anything so I can think and mull on this problem we've had. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a hard case to make. Cause I think a lot, I mean, the problem in the business world is, you know, what gets measured is val- whatever, you know, what's that saying? What gets measured gets done. Right. Yeah. So we're measuring productivity, emails answered, et cetera, slacks answered. So it ends up we don't actually end up being productive. Yes. Well, it's it's a great point that you raise and a very important one. And I think in the last 10 years that a number of businesses in the US and other countries have actually experimented with giving their employees 
some time to meditate. And of course, meditation is, is only one form of unplugging, but it but is one that has been explored. And the business businesses that have have instituted this as a practice have actually found that it increases productivity when employees are given some time in the day to just be alone with their thoughts. Uh, another case in point is, is Bell Laboratories, which is the research arm of AT&T before AT&T was, was, was broken up. And Bell Laboratories, at Bell Laboratories, there was very little direction for the employees. It was just, they were allowed to, they were given laboratories and they were given equipment and they were allowed to follow their own re- research interests without a designated project. And many great discoveries came out of Bell Laboratories. For example, in, in around 1950, the transistor was invented, which came out of Bell Laboratories. And the, the irony there is, is giving the employees, these are you know employees in science and technology, sort of unfettered free time to just invent and explore, that they actually brought great wealth to AT&T because the transistor, as one example, has led to, to all kinds of technology. Uh, ever, almost everything that we have today started with the, 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 the computers and the internet started with the transistor. So I think smart businesses have, have, have learned that giving your employees some free time to, to just explore pays off. It pays off monetarily. People are just more productive when they have some time to themselves to let their minds wander. Of course, their minds are wandering on things that are related to the company, but there's no project. There's no schedule. And what I love how you ended the book, you, you talk about this distinction. This, this distinction. I, I've read about this before, but I like how you fleshed it out. In ancient Greece, you know, they had two conceptions of time. First was Kronos time, and then there was Kairos time. What what's the distinction between the two those two types of time? Kronos time is time measured by the clock, and and they did have clocks in ancient Greece. They had sand clocks and water clocks. It's it's regimented time: twenty four hours a day, sixty minutes in an hour, sixty seconds in a minute, and so on. And and life is governed by the clock and Kronos time. Kairos time has nothing to do with clocks. It has to do with human life and, and human events. Its movement is measured by events like, like marriages or love affairs or meals or the births of babies, significant events. You might have you know a few days pass with no Kairos time passing at all with no significant events. So I, I think the, the ancient Greeks considered their leisure time to be Kairos time, when they were not on the job, when they were not working, when they were just spending time eating or with their families or taking walks, uh, that was all Kairos time. And they realized that there needs to be a balance between Kronos and Kairos. Yeah, I, I think for me, like Kairos time are the things, are those moments I remember, right? Whenever you're sort of letting your mind wander and you start thinking of memories, like those weird little memories you never thought you'd remember in the moment, but they come up for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like those are for me, like our, our Kairos moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And, and those, those moments probably don't come up to you while you're busy sending and receiving emails. Right. No, they don't. It's when I'm right before bed or I'm driving in the car or when I, yeah, when I'm not doing anything, when I'm wasting time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Alan, this is, this has been a good conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and, you know, your, your quest to let people waste more time? Well, the book is published by Simon and Schuster and it's just called In Praise of Wasting Time. And I just, published an essay in the Washington Post. They have a, a section called Disinspired Life. And there's an essay there that, that talks about this. I think that, that I am certainly not alone at all in my concern about the frantic pace of life. And I think that there, there are other thinkers and writers who are writing about this. That There's a book called Distracted by Maggie Jackson, which talks about this phenomena. The sociologist Sherry Turkle at MIT has written a couple of books about the the danger of being on the internet all of the time. I think her most recent book is called Alone Together. So there, there, there are other people who are also concerned about this trend in our society to, to live faster and faster and be more and more plugged in all the time. Well, Alan, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. Thanks for having me on your, your program. My guest today was Alan Lightman. His book is In Praise of Wasting Time. It's available on amazon.com. Check it out. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash wasting time, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.